plan for you. Everybody else, get your Bibles out and let's turn to 2 Samuel. Let's turn to 2 Samuel. <laughs> I'm so excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We're starting a new sermon series today. And uh, this sermon series is called Hoarders. Hoarders. Um, and it's breaking habits of harboring. Come on, somebody. Breaking habits of harboring. If you'll turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And then... Um, I'm, I'm excited. I feel like God's in the house. Amen. I feel like he wants to do a work this morning. And this is my request to you. Let's just peel back our hearts and say, God, do what you want to do in me. Do what you want to do in me. Change me, mold me, shape me. Do whatever you got to do to make me better. Amen. Come on, somebody. Um, Can we, can we just give the praise team a round of applause this morning for what, what they've done and how they served and how they gave? Amen. I'm so blessed to be a part of this church. I, I get to play a very small role here, and I'm so blessed. But So here's the thing. We're starting this sermon series. It's called Hoarders. There are 3 million-plus compulsive hoarders in the United States. Three million plus. I don't know about you, but that's a lot. Look at somebody and say, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. The amazing thing to me about people who are hoarders is this. Is they don't see that they have a problem until someone else points out that they have a problem, right? <laughs> they don't see that they have an issue until someone looks at it and says, hey, you have an issue. You got this going on. And then when they're questioned about it, right? And, and they, they hit you with that hoarder's lie, and that hoarder's lie is this. Well, I might need that in the future, or I may need that, you know, tomorrow, or, or you know, it, it, it's valuable. It has a value to it, and they'll hit you with that hoarder's lie, and they're trying to keep up with it, right? I'm going to use that later, or I might need that later. And the truth is, is that later never asks for it, right? And oftentimes later never comes. It never comes. And the reason why is they'll pack all this stuff in their house and then honestly just forget that they have it. And they learn to live with it. And they learn to deal with it. And the thing that comes and it, it begins to take up room and it begins to just sit. And it often becomes a hazard to that person's life. It often becomes a hazard. Another interesting fact about people is, uh, that are hoarders is they don't wake up one day and say, Hey, today I think I want to start being a hoarder. You know, I think today I want to start just obsessively and compulsively collecting every little thing that I see and every little thing that I find. They don't do that. It's not like it's something that uh, they, they, they take as a mark of success. I'm going to jeopardize everything in my life, uh, you know, today. I feel like that's going to be a really good idea. They don't do that. Specialists actually say this. They say that 90 to 90... 5%, 99% of the time, someone who clings to unnecessary things, it's caused by a traumatic event in their life. It's caused by a traumatic event, whether that be maybe somebody's death or maybe, maybe that be a life-altering injury or maybe that be a life-altering relationship or something of that effect. And this morning and, and in the next coming weeks, we're going to talk about things I believe that we spiritually hoard in our lives. I believe that 
we do some spiritual hoarding sometimes and we don't realize that we do it. I believe that we hold on to things sometimes that we don't realize is in our memory bank or in our spiritual life and it begins to affect us. Come on, somebody. And we don't realize it and we hold it. So it may get a little deep here this morning because we're going to start unpacking some things in our lives. Amen. But let the Spirit talk to you. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. And let Him do the work. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you want to read with me, you can. If you have a Bible, praise the Lord for that. If you don't, feel comfortable in knowing that we can put it up on the screen. Can you do that? You can? You remember how to do it? Praise the Lord. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Amen. Praise the Lord. Look at that. David asked, Is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba, and they summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show, kindness, that I can show the kindness of God to? And Ziba said to the king, There is still Jonathan's son, who was injured in both feet. And the king asked him, Well, where is he? And Ziba answered the king and said, You will find him in Lodebar at the house of Micah, the son of Emiel. So King David had him brought from the house of Micah, the son of Emiel, to in Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He fell face down and he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid. I love that. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all of your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. And Mephibosheth paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you take interest in a dead dog like me? I want you to remember that this morning. What is your servant? That you would take interest in a dead dog like me. Come on, somebody. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. The Holy Spirit's already moving. I can feel it. Then the king summoned Saul's attendant, Ziba, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him, and you're going to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do all my lord the king's commands. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Come on, somebody. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we ask right now that you just take this, this word and you break our hearts open. You break open our minds, God. You pour in this word this morning. And God, we ask that you change us, Lord. You expose things in our lives we need to get rid of. And Lord, you replace those things with the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody that agreed said, Amen. So, let me give you a quick backstory this morning to explain what's going on in this passage of Scripture, okay? Quick backstory. David has now taken the place of Saul. Remember whenever the prophet showed up and he anointed David with oil when he was real young and he said, You're going to be the king. Well, that has finally came to pass, okay? And so, 
in, later, in the later years of his life, I want you to know this, Saul tried to kill David. He threw spears at him. He chased after him for a long extended period of time. He was literally trying to kill David. Remember David, the guy who played the harp for him? Remember that? However, David and Saul's son, Jonathan, they were best friends. According to the Bible, they were best friends. And they made a pact with each other that they would take care of each other no matter what happened. They promised one another, I'm going to take care of you and you'll take care of me. Kind of reminds me of that scene from Forrest Gump where, where Forrest looks at Bubba, or Bubba looks at Forrest and he says, you lean on me and I'll lean right back on you. That way we ain't got to sleep with our heads in the mud. Come on. You know what I'm saying? And so I want to challenge you this morning to, to realize that, that Saul and Jonathan had that kind of relationship. You lean on me and I'm going to lean on you. That way we ain't got to sleep with our heads in the mud. right? And they promised each other that they would take care of each other. So here's what happened. Saul and Jonathan both lost their lives in a battle at Jezreel. And David is now the king, right? And this brings us up to speed with the story. So David is sitting on his throne. He finally has a chance to sit back and just relax and think for a minute. And he asked this question. He said, is there anybody left from the house of Saul that I could show kindness to because I made a promise to my friend Jonathan? He said, is there anybody out there? And this is where we find the character for today's sermon, okay? Mephibosheth. And we find him in a place called Lodabar. Now, I want you to, to think of the worst podunk backwoods holler that you've ever seen in your life. And think that is Lodabar. That was a representation. Some, some scholars and stuff would compare it to, to the ghetto today. It was just a bad place. It didn't produce. Matter of fact, the, the term Lodabar literally translates into the Greek as a place of no bread. Meaning that it doesn't produce anything. Nothing at all. Another uh, translation would be no communication. Nothing spoken. So they're not even able to communicate with each other enable to produce something outside of Lodibar. Okay? So I want you to get that in your mind. Alright? This place was no good. Mephibosheth was not in a place that was going to promise him a better opportunity. It was not going to promise him a better chance to succeed, to get back up and, and to do more. He was literally at the lowest of lows. He was not going to be voted most likely to succeed by his peers. Matter of fact, it would probably be the opposite. Most likely to never leave this town. To never get out of here. To, to fail. Let's face it. Lodabar, it, it didn't have a lot of views and a lot of interests for people wanting to move there. Okay? So, let me give you a little bit more backstory. When a king would take over a country. What they would normally do is they would go in and they would completely remove any of the lineage of the previous king. They would wipe them out. They would wipe out their sons. They would wipe out their daughters. They would wipe out the family. They would wipe out their servants. 
And the reason why they would do that is, is they didn't want any opportunity for the previous king and his royalty, uh, his, his royalty and his, his lineage to come up and say, I'm challenging you again for the throne. And because of that, Mephibosheth took up residence in Lodabar. See, he didn't move there because he thought it was going to be nice. He moved there because he was scared to death that, that David was going to kill him. He got there because he was so afraid that David was going to seek after him because David was the new king and he belonged to the family of the old king. And he just knew that he was going to be killed by David. I'm just trying to give you a backstory because if we understand this, it's easier for us to get the word today. But the truth is, is that he was so afraid. He was literally living in solidarity, trying to stay by himself, stay alone. He didn't want David to know he even existed. He was running, from his life, running, running for his life. He lived in the backwoods middle of nowhere, Lodabar, because he felt like there was a bounty that was on his head. He would probably, what we consider to be, uh, is uh, being stowed away and, and, and just and hidden because he, he didn't want to be caught by King David. Here's the kicker, though. I love this. David didn't want to kill him. David wasn't out to kill him. What was David out to do? He wanted to show him kindness. Verse number 1 said, David asked, Is there anybody remaining from the family of Saul so I can show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan? Now, not just any kind of kindness. This word here is hesed. It literally means a loving kindness. A loving kindness. He wanted to pour out love on his adversary. He wanted to pour out love on the family of his enemy. Come on, somebody. But it goes further. I know, right? Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It goes deeper. Verse number 2 says this. There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba, and he summoned David. And he said, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am. And the king asked him, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can, check this out, show the kindness of God to? So not only did David want to show him his own personal kindness, he wanted to show him what the kindness of God was going to look like. And he called for him. He's like, could you get him to come? He wanted to show him what God would do in this scenario. And what we see and what we find out is, is that he restored him to the table of his father. He restored him to the table of kingship. But here's the question, okay? How did he get from being an heir to the throne to living in Lodabar and thinking so poorly of himself? Something happened. Okay? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Is there was a point where he was living in the king's house as a king's family member, and now he's living in Lodabar calling himself a dead dog. What happened in between? What happened in between? There's a verse in 2 Samuel 4, chapter 4. If you want to write that down, you want to look it up, if, if, Jacob, if you'd pull that up for me, that'd be awesome. I want you to read this with me because I want you to catch what we're getting ready to talk about. 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. Here we go. You ready? It's on the screen. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son whose feet were crippled. Okay? He was five years old. When the report about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. Now, you remember me telling you about that? Saul and Jonathan both died in Jezreel. 
And word came to the family. And he was five years old. His nanny picked him up and fled. But as she was hurrying to flee, he fell and became lame. Other translations say that she fell and, and he fell. And he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. The day that his father and his grandfather Saul died, Mephibosheth was dropped. He was dropped. He was literally mishandled. He, he, he had someone who he trusted drop him. And because he was dropped... He became crippled. And the Bible doesn't say what caused the fall. But it does say that his nanny was holding him. Okay? Let me give you a, a quick, close uh, story here. My mother-in-law has recently redone the steps in her house. And when she was redoing the steps in her house, there was a period of time where there was no handrail on the steps. Okay? And it scared me to death to send my boys to that house. And I would mentally have images of Jacob walking up the steps holding Rapha and then both of them falling off the steps. And it wouldn't have been anything Jacob would have done. It would just been a catastrophe that happened. And it, and it scared me so bad that somebody would drop him and it would hurt him. Or somebody would, or Jacob would be walking up the steps and he would fall. Unintentional, right? For sure. It would be an unintentional thing. But the thought of something happening to either one of them scared me. I was more concerned with Rafa being so small because he wouldn't be able to handle it himself. He is at the mercy of someone else. And I want you to get that point this morning. Mephibosheth had nothing to do with him being crippled himself. He was at the mercy of of someone else. And the truth is, it was the nanny's fault. It was the nanny's fault that Mephibosheth was crippled. It was her fault that he was broken. It was her fault that he was in Lodabar. It was her fault that he had nothing. It was her fault that, that he was stowed away in a place that couldn't even produce anything. Get ready for this next line, okay? But it was his fault that he took on the mindset of Lodabar. Somebody else drove him to that place. You hear me? It, it broke him. It crippled him. But it was his fault that he took on the mindset. It was his fault that he began to think of himself as unworthy. It was his fault that he began to harbor and hoard his brokenness. He began to hoard it. And, and it wasn't just something that happened to him. It became who he was. It became who he was. I'm not going to be up here long today, but this is heavy. And I want you to catch this this morning. Don't let what somebody done to you become your identity. I'm going to say it again. Don't let the fact that someone dropped you mishandled you, mistreated you. You can't help that. You can't. 
You can't help the fact that what happened to you happened. You can't help the fact that you were done wrong. You can't help the fact that sin came after you because it did. But what you can do is change your mind to how you respond to it. Truth is, many of us like Mephibosheth, we were dropped. We trusted someone. And they hurt us. We trusted someone and they did us wrong. We trusted someone and they broke us. And not only did they break us, but they broke our will. They broke our spirit. And they took everything from us. And they made us believe like we were unworthy. Come on, somebody. And I'm here to declare in the room this morning that you're not the product of your circumstance. You are not the result of the path. It could have been up till yesterday that something has been happening in your life. You're not a product of that. It happened to you, but it is not you. Come on, somebody. And the enemy's job is to make us think that we're unworthy, that we're unable, that we're, unwi we're unwilling, we're unacceptable, and that the, that the rest of the world has nothing for us. Come on. And that's his job. And what we will begin to do is just pack all of those feelings away, just like a hoarder. And we'll pack it away in the house. And we'll begin to cover it with more stuff. And we'll begin to just lay stuff on top of it. And before you realize it, there's only a pathway in your mind to get past it. Come on, somebody. I've been watching so many episodes of the TV show Hoarders, it's unreal. And I want to tell you this. There are people who live in such filth. And there are people who live in such, such heartache. And they're broken. Because something happened to them. And I want you to hear this this morning. It becomes so sad that it's their normal. And as believers, we do the same thing. Our heartaches and our hurts and our pains, our pasts and everything that has happened, we begin to accept it. This is just who I am. This is just who I am. Or maybe we're thinking, this is just, I'm, I'm just like my daddy. It's in my blood. Or I'm just like so-and-so. It's in my family. It's just the way we do things. And we begin to believe this is normal. It's normal to live like this. It's normal to live broken. It's normal to live hurt. It's normal to live with secrets. It's normal to live with heartaches. It's normal to live with sins. This is normal. And it's far from normal. It's far from normal. Just because someone failed you doesn't mean that you're confined to that failure. Just because. Just because you've made a mistake more than once. Come on, somebody. How can, can we be honest? Who would be honest and say, I've made more than one mistake this week? Amen. Praise the Lord. But here's the truth. Just because you made that mistake doesn't mean that's who you are. Because that's not who you are. I love this next line. Mephibosheth allowed a moment in his life to define him. Don't allow a moment of your life to define you. Let me ask you this. How quick or how much time does it take to mess up? A matter of seconds, right? Milliseconds. It's just that quick and you've messed up. They say the average lifespan 
is somewhere between mid-70s to early 80s. Let me ask you this. Let's say we all in this room live to be 82. Okay? That's just, and this is hypothetical. 82 years of your life, and you messed up when you were 15, 18, or 20. And you spent the next 60 years of your life thinking this is who you were. That's what the enemy wants to do to you. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to, to not get past it. He wants you to not let it go. He wants you to not forget it. And he'll bring it up at the perfect times, won't he? If you only knew what happened to me, Pastor Joe, you wouldn't be so confident in saying what you're saying. If you only knew what happened to me, you would understand why I am so confident in what I'm saying. The truth is this morning is I'm not bound by what happened to me years ago. I'm not bound to what happened to me yesterday. I'm not bound to what I've done yesterday. And here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't let one chapter of your life to determine the outcome of the book. Because the enemy wants that. He wants that. I love this. When Mephibosheth was summoned to the throne, he went to the throne with his Lodabar mindset. That's why he said, who am I that you would look on me? On this dead dog, who am I? Don't you know I live in Lodabar? Don't you know I have nothing to offer you? Don't you know I have nothing to give? Don't you know that I'm crippled in my feet? Don't you know that I'm a mess? Don't you know that I'm a failure? Don't you know that I'm an enemy of your throne? Come on, somebody. Don't you realize this, David? Who am I that you would look at me to even call me into this room and offer me such a thing? I belong in Lodabar. That's where I was. That's where I went to. And that's where I should die. Come on, somebody. And if we're not careful, the enemy will tell us that. And not only will he tell us that, if we're not careful, we'll begin to believe it. We'll begin to believe it. He took that Lodabar mindset with him. That I'm unworthy mindset. Something I want to remind you of is this. Is that when Mephibosheth was a kid. Holy cow, this is so good. I'm sorry, I'm preaching to myself. Sorry. But here's the thing. When Mephibosheth was a kid, he played in the same palace David ruled in. He knew the throne room. He knew the palace. It belonged to him. Do you understand this morning? I'm trying not to preach myself happy. But the truth is, do you understand this morning that everything the enemy took away from you, it belonged to the Father and you had access to it? That's the thing. That's what the enemy's trying to take you away from. He doesn't want you to get and understand that where you're going to is good for you. Come on. He used to play in that palace. And the reality was is he belonged there. And his brokenness made him feel like he didn't belong there. Can I preach something to you this morning? You belong in the throne room of the king this morning. Don't let the brokenness in your life tell you that you're unworthy. 
Don't let the brokenness in your life tell you you're inadequate. Don't let the brokenness in your life tell you you're not good enough. Why? Because you are a child of the king. And when the enemy comes in and tries to remove you from it, all you got to do is say, it's mine anyway. I'm going back. Come on, somebody. I'm going back. I'm going back. But because of his broken, here's the thing. Not only was his body broken, his mind was broken. He began to hoard that brokenness within himself. And I want you to hear this this morning. What you think about yourself is what you inevitably are. There's a scripture in the Bible that says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you're a victor, listen to me. If you want to live in victory, you've got to think from victory. If you want to live from healing, in healing, you've got to think in healing. You've got to think in scripture. Who am I? The Bible tells me who I am. And if I begin to think like God talks about me, then I'll believe that I am who God says I am. And I'll, I will walk in who God says I am. But the truth is, is this right here is what stops a lot of us. It's true. Your mind will tell you who you are. And that's exactly what happened to Mephibosheth. When he was broken, he said, I am no longer an heir to the throne. I'm no longer royalty. I'm broken. I'm broken and I live in brokenness and my mind is broken. And he began to just accept it. And listen to me this morning. I want to tell you this. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. If the enemy's talking to you, he's lying. If the devil's speaking to you, he is lying. And the reason why is the Bible says he is He's a liar and he is the father of all lies. And what that means is this. is If he's opening his mouth, it's lies. He ain't going to tell you anything that's going to help you. He ain't going to tell you anything that's going to change you. He ain't going to tell you anything that's going to benefit you. He's trying to remove you from the throne room. He's trying to remove you from the throne room. And I want to challenge us this morning. There may be someone under the sound of my voice this morning that's been hoarding and harboring brokenness for years. Someone you trusted dropped you. Someone you leaned into dropped you. Someone that you gave confidence to turned their back on you and they told everybody your business. Come on, somebody. And you begin to think, I ain't ever telling anybody anything ever again. A leader that was in a church failed you. Maybe, maybe you had someone, a family member that you were close to and they, they turned you and they stabbed you in the back. You have a choice today. Hear me. You have a choice today. And that choice is very, very simple. Do I continue to harbor the brokenness that this person caused me? Or, and let it slowly kill you. Remember how I said that these people who hoard things, they often hoard things that are not beneficial in any way, form, or fashion. And do you know what they lie to you and tell you? I may need it tomorrow. Don't that sound familiar? Man, I was hurt, and I will never forget it. You know why? Because tomorrow, somebody might do me the exact same way. So I'm just going to shove my brokenness back into my heart and back into my mind because I promise you one thing, it'll never happen again. And when we do that, we allow scars to form. 
and we don't allow healing to take place. Do you, how many people know there's a difference between healing and scars? There's a difference. In order to heal something properly, you have to, you have to put ointment on it. You have to clean it. You have to do different things. If you don't do that, it's just going to scar and it's going to be nasty. Come on, somebody. You have a choice to either get rid of that harboring and that hoarding or thank God for or. Thank God for options. Come on, somebody. Or you can allow God to restore you back to the table where you belong. Now, here's what I want to say to you this morning. Okay, hear me. Again, I, I, I feel like, people, Pastor Joe, if you only knew, it's easy for you to stand up there and say that if you only knew. Well, here's what I want to make, make very clear. You're hurt. It's real. The results from what happened, it's real. However, you know, the pain, it's real. However, God's redemption for you is just as real. It's just as real. Don't lie to yourself and say, I'm going to need this tomorrow. Don't lie to yourself and say, I'm going to use this later. Don't let this hurt become your identity. Don't let it become your identity. Don't let it become your identity this morning. Aaron, if you'll come play for us this morning, we're going to do an altar call. And the reason why I feel like we need to do a specific altar call this morning is, is because truth is, is there's every single person in this room probably has something that they've stowed away that you forgot about until Pastor Joe came up and said, hey, that's not good. You need to get rid of it. Don't hold on to it. Pastor Joe, I'm going to need it tomorrow. No, you're not. You're not going to need it tomorrow. Why? Because God's forgiveness is good. His grace for you is sufficient. And guess what? Here's the truth. Can I tell you a true statement today? Someone tomorrow might hurt you. Someone tomorrow may do the exact same thing. But there's grace for that too. There's mercy for that too. There's forgiveness for that too. Come on somebody. And I challenge you this morning. We're not going to make this weird. We're not going to come up here and lay hands on you or nothing like that. But what I want you to do is just start unpacking this. And start asking God, God, if there's something in my life that I'm holding against somebody. If there's a broken place in my life, God, that I'm carrying around. It's too heavy to carry. And I want to lay it down. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. We're not going to single you out. Whoever you are. We're not going to point you out. You can sit right where you are if you feel like that's what you need to do. But I want to say to you this morning is that if you take a step out, that's the beginning for healing. Come on.